Wow! Today's episode is insane. What's up, guys? It's Dave from Military to Millionaire, and I have a... I mean, this isn't even exciting. This is like life-changing episode today with Adrian Phillips, who runs a couple businesses, but the one that we're going to talk specifically about today is the Strategic Alliance Veteran Integration, which is a nonprofit that essentially focuses on, hey, you want help getting out of the military? Reach out to us 12 months before, and we will help you with a customized plan and help you understand all of the benefits that are available to you to walk you through this process. And this is a extremely confusing and curmudgled, curmuddled process that just veterans don't understand. And, and it's just not a simple thing to understand. So this episode is huge. We are going to talk about VA ratings. We are going to talk about when you should fi file for VA ratings. We're going to talk about how to avoid transition trauma and just, I mean, there's so much information in this episode that I, I just can't even begin to explain how important it is that you listen all the way through and share it with other veterans that are getting out because, or, or even still in because this, I mean, this can literally change your entire life after the military. And trust me when I say having a smooth transition will be a very important aspect to you living a happy life after the military, right? We don't like to talk about it, but there are a lot of veterans struggling when they get out of the military. So the more people that hear this, and learn about this, the more we can help those who need the help. So that being said, this episode is awesome. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining us. If not, welcome back. Show notes are found at frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey guys, on this podcast, we talk a lot about the roadblock to success for military members in getting started in real estate investing. For many of us, the barriers of time, location, and not having the right knowledge keep us from building wealth while serving our country. Well, let me tell you about Storehouse 310 Ventures. They get it. Storehouse 310 Ventures is owned by two active duty naval officers that love to make investing fun, lucrative, and have a passion for education, theirs and yours alike. They offer full turnkey rental properties in a market where the numbers make sense, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yes, Milwaukee, home to the almost 2018 division titled Milwaukee Brewers, the well-known Miller Brewing Company, and a lot of delicious cheese. Storehouse 310's properties are fully renovated, leased, and have property management in place. Through their rigorous analysis and selection process, they do everything possible to ensure each rental property meets their high standards and offers fantastic returns. Storehouse 310's allows you to invest with confidence while you are living out of state. They have a network of lenders, insurance companies, contractors, a title company, and much more to serve you all along the way. There is absolutely no reason not to get started when you have the right teams and system in place. David and Stu, the owners of Storehouse 310, have been investing themselves for over 15 years. They are on a mission to help as many active duty, reserves, and military veterans create financial freedom through the power of real estate investing. They are honest, transparent, and they prioritize service and giving. They have even committed to give the first 10% of their profits to partner nonprofit organizations that support veteran causes. For more information about their program, send an email to podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. Again, that is podcast at storehouse310turnkey.com. 
Tell David and Stu you heard about them through the Military Millionaire Podcast, and they will get you going down the right path. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave here from Military Millionaire, and I'm here with Adrienne Phillips, who was in the Air Force, and now she is a, a business owner of, of two, well, maybe more, but uh, two businesses that we've talked about, Travelers Q and Savvy, which is the Strategic Alliance Veteran Integration, and those are big words, so if you notice, we're looking down over there. And we're going to talk about transition stuff. So all of the stuff that I'm going to be looking forward to here soon as I get out of the military and all of the stuff that none of us know anything about as we go to transition out of the military. So we're going to clear some of the mud there. But uh, Adrian, thank you for joining us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thank you, David, for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to talk to everybody in your network about transition, which is certainly an important point. So a little bit about me. As you mentioned, I did serve in the Air Force. I was in security forces, so I was a police officer for those who don't know. And I did everything that I was supposed to do when it came to transition. I started my process about six months prior. I did the TAPS briefing, you know, did everything on the checklist, had the right resume, had the right suit on. And unfortunately, I still did not get the brochure transition that I was promised, so to speak. Um, it was definitely a struggle for me, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, what benefits were available to me, and just trying to make sense of all of the different aspects that really were kind of being thrown at us. I mean, you know, TAPS is a very great program. It's super informative, but it's a lot of information in a very consolidated time frame. And so for me, it was just a bit overwhelming. And um, I struggled just trying to get employment. I was on the brink of homelessness at one point. And so it was um, definitely an unexpected process to go through. And it was certainly a far cry from, you know, being a police officer serving my country. So lesson well learned. And um, I ended up getting my first opportunity about six months later with a nonprofit organization called American Veterans. And that's what ultimately kicked off my career in the veteran services arena, which I've now spent about the last 13 years focusing specifically on federal benefits and uh, compensation and pension through VA. That's a, uh, that's intense. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear. It's cool to hear that you went through, you know, rough spat, rough patch, and then turn around. And now you've basically dedicated the last half of your life to trying to help other people avoid that, which is, I think a really cool, I, I guess, transition as, as crummy as that was, I think it was a great segue into what you do now, because a lot of people, I think, get into that space. Uh, well, maybe not enough people get into that space, but you know, it's a very, misunderstood time in veterans lives and so to have somebody who's been through the bad side because i think for me right as i start talking to people about this i feel like i get some advice from people who oftentimes weren't even in the military i mean they may have been a spouse but you know there's a lot of people i, I talk to around base that have no idea you know they talk about it they see it but they, they were never in the transition point so it's cool that that was okay cool's the wrong word but you know <laughs> For me, it's nice to be able to talk to somebody who's been there right. as opposed to someone who just has seen it. And you know, one of the things that I always say is that transition isn't a box that you check mark and you say, all right, I'm officially transitioned out now. You know, it, it's done. Um, transition is a process, it's a journey, and it's an evolution of who you are as an individual, really redefining your purpose and trying to find your place in the civilian sector after you've gotten out. Um, and when you're able to at least keep some level of connection with the community, it's great because that camaraderie is still there. You know, you have your fellow colleagues that understand that background, that understand that military mentality, that know how to be disciplined and execute on certain things. 
the, the civilian sector can feel like a bit of the wild, wild west. It's, it's a lot of um, endless opportunities, which is great in theory, but for an individual that's coming from a very structured environment where you're told what to wear, what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and then you're just kind of spit out and said, all right, here's all of the stuff that you can do. And, you know, the military never asks you, like, all right, what are your hopes and dreams, right? <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up? That's just not a conversation that we have. And so it's important to really start having that conversation not only with yourself, but with your friends, with your family, anybody that's a support system to you. Have that conversation early because it is going to be a process. I can tell you even now, I still consider myself transitioning. You know, I don't think that there's, again, ever like an end point to say, all right, we're done. And um, I, I can tell you that being in this sector as long as I have, the average veteran honestly doesn't even start really asking questions about their benefits until they've been out maybe more than five years. So again, you know, I, I always tell people, don't you know, beat yourself up or anything. There is no specific timeline, so to speak. You just have to really listen to where you're at and be true to yourself. You know, and be okay with exploring. There's a lot that's out there. So you have to kind of test the waters and figure out what works for you. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I know as we we're discussing before we recorded, uh, you know, I mean, I'm one of those stubborn guys who there were injuries in back in 2010 that, you know, now in 2018, 19, uh, you know, largely in portion to my spouse saying, hey, uh, you do this and you shouldn't do that. I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. No, you, you should probably go talk to somebody like, oh, yeah. And hey, lo and behold, I have a hearing aid now. <laughs> um, you know, so uh, I think. I'm still in and I'm that stubborn. So I can definitely see that five years down the road, I'd be like, oh, you know, hey, I should probably look into some of this stuff. Right. And then let's be honest. I mean, as veterans, we're not really accustomed to asking for help, right? There's a certain persona and bravado that comes along with, um, you know, wearing the uniform, which is great. There's that sense of pride. But we need help every now and again, and that's okay. That's why these things exist. That's why there's resources. That's why there's organizations and people that are out there to help support us. And so we should absolutely take full advantage of all of that because that's why it's intended for. That's, it's there for us to be able to utilize. Um, and it all starts with just a conversation, even if it's with a fellow colleague, you know, that hopefully can provide some quality information and not kind of send you on a goose chase. Um, but, you know, organizations such as ours are, are really here to help support and guide that process. And I know I have a couple different questions for you, but real quick, if we can segue, I would like to ask, we didn't even, I didn't even ask this piece yet. Uh, can you explain your uh the two businesses that you run because i know we've talked about your organization but if you could give a little background on it before we go forward i think that would be beneficial absolutely so um travelers q i established that back in 2011. i was actually booking um travel just for friends and family and i had a colleague of mine say you know that's an actual business like you can make money off of that and i'm like oh wow there's a concept let's try to give that a whirl and so very similar to the transition process you know getting out it was super confusing, a lot of scattered information. I was given you know, 100 different answers to the same question. And so at that point I said, okay, if I can ever figure out this business thing and actually be successful, I wanna utilize it for good. I wanna be able to reinvest back into the veteran community. So Traveler SKU specifically focuses on travel management for um, businesses. So we work with nonprofits, we work with small businesses, entrepreneurs, event planners, and ultimately what we do is that we support events and corporate travel. 
And so it was really the start and launch of Traveler's Q, which gave me the confidence and even the resources to be able to launch Savvy. Um, Savvy was established about two and a half years ago. I spent uh, seven months just in strategy and development because after starting Traveler's Q and really knowing that there's so many intricacies of business and you know, everything from accounting to marketing to web design, there's just so many things that you just don't know about until you're kind of in it. And so I knew that I wanted to do Savvy Right. I didn't want to have to go through that whole entire process again and you know be scrambling to try to put things together. I wanted to have a solid plan. I wanted to be able to know who was going to be the support system from a leadership standpoint, who was going to be contributing. And so after I felt confident in what we had established in terms of our main objective, our mission, who was going to be involved, then we actually formalized Savvy into an organization and we are a nonprofit based out of the state of California. Um, we do serve nationwide. And the, really the main reason why Savvy was established was because of necessity. Spending as long as I have in this arena, one of the fundamental things that I've realized is that it's not an issue of access. As veterans, we have more than enough access to a plethora of resources. There's about 600,000 different resources between federal, state, and local level. And there's over 46,000 nonprofits that are currently serving the veteran community. That does not include government agencies and that does not include any state or county agencies. So there's a lot that's out there. So if we know that that's not the problem, then what is? Education relevancy, customization. Nobody makes this stuff relevant to our specific needs. And so that's really where Savvy comes in. We have a 12-month program that focuses on educating veterans on their basic federal entitlements. So that means VA and DOD for retirees. And then we take all of those wonderful and amazing resources and all of those wonderful and amazing nonprofits and we customize it to make it relevant to the individual's needs. And we are engaging actively through the transition process so that all of our veterans have a transition coach that they work with that's really helping guide, answer questions, and making sure that there's a basic understanding of what is supposed to be done and how it's um, ultimately relevant to the time frame in which you are from transition. So all of our individuals, um, all of our program participants are within one year of separation or retirement to one year post-separation retirement. So they are actively in the transition process and getting out and reintegrating into the civilian sector. Trying to figure out how to eliminate nasty words from their vocabulary and, right. and correct without yelling. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and we focus on four primary categories and that's education, employment, entrepreneurship, and retirement. So contingent on what the primary goal is once you get out is ultimately how we start to kind of break down these resources and make sure that there's an understanding of how it can ultimately help you achieve whatever objective it is that you have. And it's at no cost. I absolutely have to mention that. Um, we, are, um, we don't charge cents for any of the programs or um, education that we offer. And so that's really a part of my commitment to give back I've been very fortunate to have an amazing uh, group of individuals that are supporting us internally, and they're all very, very passionate about serving that. So I'm very, very lucky to have them with me. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's super cool. Uh, because like you said, the hardest thing, I mean, the first question that most veterans find themselves asking, you know, or service members is, well, uh, where do I start? You know, and, and so 
to have a place that can guide you through that. Right. I mean, that's like everything we do in the military, there's a mentor, right. But like my, the guy that I told you before we recorded this gentleman, I was talking to who's read an article titled, you know, nine secrets, whatever. And he was like, why are they secrets? And I, and I said the same thing you said, I was like, well, that's just a title to drag right. you in. Um, right. And it's catchy, you know, I need to use that word more in my, my articles that I write. Right. But he brought up a valid point. He was like, you know, the problem with this is that everyone who's done this is gone. And everyone who's telling me what they think I should do is heard it through different people throughout the last two or three decades. Right. Changed a million times and no one really knows. And the people that I would ask are, they're not here. Right. Like, yeah, that's true. It's like the one spot in the military where there isn't mentorship. There's just, well, from the, from the active duty side, right? It's just, Oh uh, man, I know a guy who did that. Uh, man, I hope I still have his phone number. <laughs> so. Right. And, you know, it's like playing telephone, right? We, we talk to one another. Veterans talk to veterans all the time, which is great in theory, but it's horrible when you're perpetuating bad information. And I don't think that anybody sets out to purposely do that. I just think that everybody's situation is unique, and this is why customization is so important. There's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not like a blanketed statement to say, all right, you're getting out, so this is everything that applies to you. It doesn't work that way. It has to really, we have to break down. We have to learn about each other and we have to really figure out what's going to be relevant to that specific individual and what they're going through. Because again, everybody is different. Um, disabilities impact our ability to process and understand things. Um, and even if you don't have disabilities, you know, there's um, one of our advisors um, uses this, this really cool term called transition trauma, which is really just kind of the, the, mentality of being stuck due to an overload of information, which is really the transition process. There's so much going on outside of the fact that, hey, guess what? You're still in the military. You still, your primary duty is still to serve. And so you have to be able to do that in conjunction with figuring out the rest of your life and what that's gonna look like. And that is no easy task, unless you have just spent a lot of time Bringing and preparing about what post-military life looks like, then really you, you got to start somewhere. Like you said, you know, where, where do we start? What is, what are the right questions to ask? And that's really the conversation that needs to be had. You don't know too many people who spend that much time worrying about it. Right. In fact, I feel like most people try to spend more time trying to talk me into re-enlisting than they do asking <laughs> right. about my plan, um, which is fine. We'll do right because it's just easier like I don't want to have to deal with transition let me just re-enlist I'll, I'll worry about that in the next four years or in the next eight years mm. and push it off and push it off and then all of a sudden it's time for retirement <laughs> and now it's like all right now it's time to get serious about this um, I really feel like with the right education and catching people early which is super important that we can really create a solid plan that can create success having the right tools, having the right support, and really knowing, again, what is the basics of this? Because every veteran has basic entitlements, and that's the thing that we need to really focus on. Because what you don't want to do is end up in a crisis situation, and then you're having to backtrack trying to get that basic kind of eligibility established because you didn't do that when you first got out. I just write myself a note for, <laughs> for, a, for a date to make sure I reach out to you guys. Oh, please do. <laughs> my like couple days before my, my year mark. So I can, yeah, uh, I've been lucky enough to have a couple guys that, you know, are, are willing to sit down and talk as far as, I mean, I didn't even know the options for looking into the reserves. I would have, I was sitting here hanging my 
decision on, okay, do I EAS? Do I stay it? Do I EAS? Do I retire? Until I sat down with, uh, I don't know if you know who Doug Nordman is. Um, he runs a website called The Military Guide. And I was talking to him. He's like, well, have you looked into the reserves? Here's what that looks like. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Um, that's all it takes. That little, that little seed of information can literally change your entire life. And that's what, that's what motivates me. That's what inspires me every day is that knowing that just taking that little bit of time to invest into somebody and give them the right information can make a complete world of difference to what their um, outcome is going to look like once they get into the civilian sector. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. So I had thought about asking you like, oh man, okay. So if, if we had like 12 months, what would that look like? But as you pointed out a couple of times, that's super custom. So I would be curious, I think instead to kind of ask the, the number one topic everybody's always curious about, right, is the the disability, the rating process, and obviously we can't get super in the weeds. No, me the money. <laughs> yeah, well, and you know, and obviously my problems are going to be way different than someone who is in the infantry's problems or whatever. Um, but I would be curious to know, like, what are some 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 things that you would say are like, okay, these are the things you you have to know, or or timelines, or or you know, basic overview of that process. Sure. So the basics, um, when it comes to service connection or disability compensation, service connection is ultimately the process in which you actually get a condition related to the military. So that is considered service connection. Now, you do not have to be an amputee. You do not have to be you know, completely disheveled and in pain every day in order to receive disability compensation. That's, I think, a really, really large misconception. On top of that, um, whenever you file for your benefits, you are not taking away from anybody else. I feel like a lot of veterans, you know, we're very selfless, which is great and amazing, but we also have to be selfish in the fact that what you are entitled to, you deserve to file for. Again, it's not a pot, you're filing for it, it's not taken away from anybody else. Those are your benefits, your entitlement, and you should absolutely file for it because there are so many other ancillary benefits that are contingent on the basic service connection or disability compensation that you are gonna be missing out on a world of other things just because of you know, a false pretense that you're taking away from somebody else's benefit. So when we look at what qualifies for service connection, it really comes down to three primary things. First and foremost, it has to be a chronic medical disability. It cannot be an acute disability, meaning that it only happened one time and then it was resolved. It can't be like a laboratory finding like high cholesterol. It has to be a chronic medical disability. And the way that that's granted is either it was caused, incurred, or aggravated by military service. Caused, pretty self-explanatory. You had an event or something happened that ultimately caused you to have a disability. Incurred simply means that you were diagnosed while you were in or the symptoms started while you were in. Even if there's no clear connection to how the military caused it, so to speak, as long as you were diagnosed or at least the root cause and symptoms started while you were um, in service, and it doesn't have to be active duty, you can be guard or reserve, then you can still get that service connected. And then lastly, aggravation. That simply means that you came into the military with a disability. One of the most common ones are flat feet. If the military approved you to come in, there is something called presumption of soundness, meaning that you are presumed sound and fit for duty in order to enter the military. So your baseline is pretty much going to be zero, right? We start out with, you know, you, you are coming in stating that you are fit for duty, presumption of soundness is established. 
And then if that disability aggravates beyond its normal progression, let's just say using flat feet again, you know, due to ruck marches, you know, maybe you're jumping out of Humvees, you're carrying heavy weight on your back. So your feet end up becoming a lot worse because of all that trauma. That right there would qualify for service connection as well, because due to the exposure and your duties in the military, that condition has now been exacerbated beyond its normal point of progression. And of course, there's some other ways to get service connected as well. There's secondary conditions, presumptive conditions. I won't get too much into that because those are some of the finer details. And I certainly recommend that you um, get a representative, an advocate that can help you through that process to review your records and really help you understand what disabilities you have that may qualify for service connection. So the bottom line is report everything. The minute that you know that you are getting out, all of that drink water and press on goes out the window. Your primary responsibility is to make sure that you are taken care of once you get out. Complain, 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 complain. Even if it's the day before you separate, as long as it's recorded in your service medical records, then it can always be connected to the military. Even if you don't have a diagnosis, it can be maybe symptoms, something that has been irking you for a while, you don't know what it's due to, report it. Make sure that it's documented. If it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. And so it's so important to make sure that you have everything accounted for in your service treatment records so that if it does in fact develop into something more serious later, you have a point of reference that you can still get service connected for. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's huge. You're reading off these and I'm like, oh, okay, so this one would fit that description <laughs> and that one would fit, you know, um, and it's, it's interesting. And I, I would assume, so I'm going to ask, I know we're going to get into specific, but when you say presumptive, is that things like the, like the burn pit registry where it's like, you might not have cancer now, but because you're on, like for me, I was around this fire in Afghanistan called the, the smoo fire where mm -hmm. essentially the entire supply section on base went up in smoke and I was in a dozer trying to put out, you know, no respirator. And it's like every chemical known to base was burning in my face. And right. it's, so it's in my medical record, like, Hey, if he gets cancer, uh, right. because of breathing all this crap in, you know, whatever. So that would be like a presumptive where it hasn't happened. Right. Okay. Presumptive just simply means that based on certain exposures or based on a, a theater of war that you may have served in, the, the VA can presume that at some point in time you may develop X, Y, and Z. Now that is an absence of having any documented treatment, complaints, or a diagnosis in service. You can still qualify for presumptive conditions even though there's no record of it in the military. The record or the event that it is connected to is the exposure. And so a very perfect example would be um, ALS. ALS is a presumptive condition for all veterans, regardless of exposure, regardless of theater of war. So if you were to develop ALS at any point in your life post-military, that would be a condition that you could file for. And again, there's a whole list of them based on Agent Orange exposure, based on Gulf War, based on burn pits, based on radiation. There's a whole list of conditions that may potentially qualify um, for the presumption status, depending again on what your exposure was. Cool, so that's, that's, I mean, again, no one hopes that any of that happens, but that's cool to know that there's stuff like that out there that, right. you know, it's, not, it's nice to know that, it's not something I have to be like, okay, I have cancer now, uh, right. you know, I can later on. <laughs> um, right. So I know people, people ask like, at what time should you start? Work? So there's this fear in the military, right? That if you start bringing things up, it will 
it's not going to look, I mean, for me right now, I've been broken for like seven months, not because I brought something up, but because I actually had an injury, um, you know, and it's kind of, it's not necessarily frowned upon, right? They understand, but there's a stigma for me, for me or for veterans where it's like, well, okay, even though everyone understands, I feel like this is, you know, I don't like being the broken guy or whatever. Right. Um, but at what point do you think, you know, you said when you know you're getting out, you should start documenting and complaining and stuff. But is that something that they're like, you should just be doing all the way through your service? Is that a total misconception or should you, is it acceptable to just bombard medical six months prior to your termination? Oh, it's absolutely acceptable. I mean, there is no um, stipulation on how many times or at what point you report. You don't get penalized for reporting the day before you get out. Um, you know, it, as long as it's reported and documented. Now, when it comes to filing for benefits, there is a very specific time period that I, I want to make everybody aware of. There is a program called the BDD program or benefits delivery at discharge. That pretty much gives you expedited processing. The earliest point that you can file for benefits while you're still on active duty guard or reserve is 180 days pre-separation you have to have your ETS date in order to be able to file for it. So 180 days to 90 days pre-separation is the time frame for the benefits delivery at discharge program. This does not mean that you cannot file outside of it. You can file for benefits at any point in time, as long as it doesn't exceed the 180 days pre-separation, you can file for benefits at any time. However, the BDD program will give you expedited processing. Average time frame for a decision to be rendered after the military going through BDD is about three months versus for somebody that files while they're still in, maybe outside of that time frame, it's about six months. Now, this is certainly not a quote for time frames. Please don't, you know, hold me to that. And obviously depends on the complexity of your case, how many disabilities you're filing for, when you're able to get your examination and all of those types of things. So that's just an average. Um, so there's certainly a benefit to being able to file within that time frame. Again, 90 to 180 days. It will just give you priority processing. So if you are going to file, um, certainly I would recommend that you at least have the majority of what you're filing for documented, but certainly do not get out of the military without accounting for everything that you're filing for. The VA will request your original service treatment records, meaning a complete record, um, not just until the point that you filed. It's not like they say, okay, he or she filed for benefits, so we're no longer going to review what happened afterwards. They have to pull your complete records. So again, as long as it's documented somewhere before you get out, then that's really the, the fundamental thing that you need to focus on. Awesome. And that's good to know. So, and the nice thing with that is now I know you hear all these horror stories about how long VA claims take, but now I know, okay, well, it's on me. If I do it in that 90 day window, then I should be taken care of very quickly. And if I don't, and I'm sitting around complaining about how long my benefits took. Well, right. Now, another thing too I wanted to note when it comes to compensation is that anytime <clears throat> that you file a claim between 180 days pre-separation and one year post-separation, it will be retroactively backdated to the day after you separated. Whether it takes the VA three months or three years to make a decision, it does not matter it will be retroactively backdated to the day after you separated. Only if the claim is received again, 
either through the BDD program or within a hundred, or excuse me, um, one year post-separation. That is the time frame. So there's no money loss. Um, you obviously, if you file it outside of BDD or even after you get out, you may have to wait a little bit longer, but from a financial standpoint, you will still get the full benefit all the way retroactively to the day after you separated. Awesome. And it's a tax-free payment. Oh. I can't complain about that. <laughs> so that, nice. doesn't, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Although I would still prefer to start receiving that sooner rather than, I mean, the lump sum's great, right? But uh, right. not all of us make wise decisions with lump sums, says the guy who bought a Harley after it deployed. <laughs> but, you know, I've gotten smarter about it, but I would probably still buy a toy. You know, so, uh, although my toy might be a house now. I don't know. We'll see. That's maybe a good I'll, Maybe I'll be mature enough to make the right decision if I ever have that problem. Um, okay, so that's, I mean, that's awesome. That's a lot of stuff that I didn't know. I was going to ask, and I know this can be a super quick answer, but uh, that, that secret article I read, uh, they touched on the phrase buddy letters, and I, I know you called it, uh, I think, lay letters or something uh, like that. Lay statements. <laughs> lay statements. Um, is that, I mean, I had never even heard of that before. Is that something they made up to sound catchy? Or, I mean, is that something that holds weight? Is that useful? Absolutely. So really lay statements become relevant in absence of other documentation. So um, lay statements are really just personal testimonies from friends, family, caregivers, any individual that ultimately witnessed you experiencing certain symptoms. Please keep in mind that these individuals are not qualified to diagnose unless they just happen to be a physician or, you know, otherwise if they're a medical professional, but normally friends and family are just going to have, um, you know, the ability to report symptoms, what they actually witness. They're not intended to actually diagnose you with anything. So again, in absence of you documenting anything, um, a perfect example would be like sleep apnea. Um, a lot of people don't even realize that they have sleep apnea because there's uh, some of the symptoms can be just mistaken for stress, like, you know, lack of sleep, waking up tired, snoring in the middle of the night. Those are sometimes things that we often think of as normal. And so um, let's just say that you never complained about sleep issues, but you ultimately get diagnosed with sleep apnea. Well, again, in absence of you having anything reported while you were in, you can get a lay testimony from a spouse, from a friend, from a family member that says, yes, in fact, I heard this individual snoring. I heard them maybe gasp for air in the middle of the night, whatever it is. Those are the types of things that they can report in a lay statement. Okay. So, so it's more used. It's more for if I failed to report something and was right. trying to retroactively get it into my record as opposed to, so that's, that's good. Cause I either I misread it or it was misinterpreted in the article. I thought it was more for, uh, you know, like if I'm trying to say, okay, well, the reason for my hearing aid is because I drove over a bomb and we never touched on that. So I'm going to get my buddy who's in the truck to write about the experience, but it sounds like that's fine as long as I tell them before I get out. So this is more for if I forgot to tell them, I'm like, right. oh man, I forgot that I am deaf in one ear. Uh, mm -hmm. Shoot. Then my wife can say like, you know, yeah, he can't hear me if I'm on the side or <laughs> whatever. Okay. Yeah, and believe me, when it comes to evidence, listen, it is really good to have your claim well supported. So I'm certainly not discouraging lay testimony. I think that anything that's going to help support your claim is important to submit for consideration. Um, but outside of that, if you do have symptoms, if you do have a diagnosis while you're in, really <coughs> the only thing that you need is, is a one-time report, especially if it's a diagnosis. If it's a chronic medical disability, all you need is one diagnosis one time, and that's sufficient, as long as it's a chronic condition. Now, if it's a disability that you got diagnosed with 15 years ago and then never reported it again, 
that may not qualify because then it looks like an acute episode, right? It's something that you haven't experienced anything else for the last 15 years, and now you're trying to file for service connection. So I think that it's important to make sure that the um, evidence is relevant and that it's as recent as possible to when you got out to make sure that it's still an active condition. Awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, okay, so I, there was these two acronyms that you said before we got on, and I was going to write them down, and I just realized it made sense for me to. So they were the CR, CRSC and the CRDP, and I have no idea what those mean. I can't remember right. they I remember they both had combat in them. Like, right. It was a C, and that's about as far as I got. Um, so but, um, these are benefits that are specific for retirees only. They are DOD benefits. They are not VA benefits. And so CRSC or combat related special compensation ultimately is something that you can apply for. If you're, again, if you're a retiree, you do have to be um, in receipt of retiree pay. You have to have at least a 10% evaluation through VA. And then you also have to choose your retirement pay over your VA pay in order to receive this. Now, this specific benefit is something that you have to apply for. There is an application that needs to be submitted to the Department of Defense. It is submitted to your specific branch of service in order to qualify for that benefit. So it's just an additional pay for any disability that was a direct result of combat. Concurrent retirement disability pay simply states that in order for you to be in receipt of both your retirement pay as well as your VA disability pay, you have to have at least a 50% rating or greater to receive both. If you have less than that, then you would have to make a decision which of the two benefits from a financial standpoint that you want to receive. Now, it does not negate any ancillary benefits that you may qualify for. So in other words, if you were to get 30% rating and you were to opt in to receive your retired pay as opposed to your VA pay, anything else that you would qualify for like um, your VA home loan fee waiver, um, I don't know, voc rehab, um, medical care, those things are still in place. They are not taken away. It's just who are you actually receiving a check from? Now, concurrent retirement disability pay, if it's 50% or greater, is not something that you have to apply for. It is automatically instated. Again, still a DOD benefit. Both of them are specifically, again, for retirees. And um, there's a lot of great information out there about you know, some of the other intricacies and qualifications that are based on that. But those are the only two benefits that are, again, specific for retirees and does not apply to other vets. Awesome. Okay, so this, this one might be totally off the wall, and I don't know if there's an answer, but uh, I thought of it while you mentioned that, and okay. I'm curious because this is probably the biggest misnomer that I hear people talk. I can't, I can't imagine that it's true, right? But you mentioned the percentage for disability, and I, I know that if we were to get into how that whole system works, we'd be here <laughs> all night. But I'm curious, is there, really my, my question on it is just, is there a specific like place where someone could say, oh, well, I have this problem, so it should rate x percentage or is that totally custom for the entire oh, system no, absolutely not so there is a nice little beautiful thing called the rating schedule this is an actual regulatory um uh, you know aspect that the va ultimately says this is a specific criteria that you need to have in order to qualify for xyz percentage this is not any va adjudicator saying okay let me look at david's case i think he deserves this percent that is not the way that it works 
everything is based on the specific criteria that the rating schedule has outlined. The rating schedule or um, 38 CFR part four is public information that anybody can access at any time. And it has a list of all of the disabilities that ultimately VA um, you know, service connects. There are some uh, disabilities that may not be listed. So it may have to be analogous, meaning that they find the closest thing to it that would represent it. And then that's the criteria that they use. But every single disability has specific criteria. And so in order to qualify for a certain evaluation, you have to have that specific criteria. That criteria is normally derived from your VA examination or a disability benefits questionnaire, which is the exact same form that is used at the VA examination. That is ultimately, um, a, I'll say, a starting point and a huge indicator of how the evaluation is determined. But of course, all of the evidence in your record will be considered to ultimately render that final evaluation. Well, I'm glad I asked that because that's at least cool that there's an actual something that that I could go look at because I, I always hear people say like, oh man, that's 30% easy. And I'm like, dude, you, I, you're a Marine too. You have no idea what you're talking about. So it'll be interesting to be able to say, oh, you know, actually I wonder what, you know, for, for something that you, you know is like, for, for example, for me, right? The hearing aid thing. There is no like, oh, well, no, we don't think you have a hearing problem. Really? Because you gave me this. So, um, so I could, you know, it'd be cool to be able to look and say, oh, well, that's kind of what, Whatever, so that and keep in mind that service connection and compensation are kind of two separate entities. So you can get service connected and it may not be at a percentage that actually qualifies for compensation, which is 0%. Anything 10% or less is going to be no compensation. Um, so, but you are still entitled to healthcare for that condition and you can still absolutely be seen at any VA medical facility. Um, so it's important to at least get the service connection established. You can always file for an increase if you feel like the condition has gotten worse. But again, keep in mind, and this will all be in your rating decision. When the rating decision is finalized and you get a copy of it, it will explain exactly how they met the decision that they did and how the evaluation was ultimately determined and what criteria is required to meet the next higher evaluation. That is something that's mandatory by the Department of Veterans Affairs. It's called duty to assist. It is the obligation of the VA to notify you, again, what criteria was used to meet your current evaluation and what criteria would need to be met in order to get a higher evaluation. But at any point in time, you can always look this up. Again, 38 CFR part four is where all the disability evaluation criteria is um, listed. That's cool. All right. So we could, we could obviously talk disability stuff all day, right? Because that's what everybody's always curious about is the money, right? Or the, you know, for, for some people, like for me, that, you know, okay, just hit over that 10%. So there's no funding fee on the VA loan. Um, but it's important. It, it, it adds up. It, it Absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, it, I, I feel like the word you earned it is wrong because it's not like I earned problem but but I mean that's the reality right you deserved it no uh, <laughs> um, so what else and we'll we'll kind of we don't you, you know I know we don't have all night but uh, and we'll talk on I know we still got uh, advocacy and compensation that we wanted to touch on but I was curious you know in the grand scheme of that 12 months leading up is there anything else that you think is like a, a must know that you would you would want to touch on before it, it, for things to do. I mean, obviously you've got the the TAPS or TRS program and the VA stuff, but anything else in that time period that you think is just like a I don't know, like a must talk about from a compensation standpoint or just in general? Just a tr I mean, in general. 
Um, I would say that, you know, be okay with not knowing what you're going to do and be okay with exploring things. You know, there's a lot of great um, apprenticeship programs. There's the career skills bridge program. There's a lot of different opportunities that are available to you while you're still in the military, again, active duty guard or reserve, that you can start kind of dipping your toes in and figuring out what the civilian marketplace has to offer before you even make a decision. So I highly encourage people to diversify their skills and portfolio. You know, learn as much as you can about as many things that are transferable as possible, like marketing skills, um, writing skills, um, uh, negotiation skills. These are all things that you can apply to many different industries. And there's so many different platforms now that allow you to tap into um, content libraries that have all of these different skills and certifications that you can have. You know, even from a technology standpoint, all of the major companies are um, obviously very excited to have veterans learn technology skills because there's a lot of opportunities in the technology marketplace, despite not having any background and experience in that arena. So I, I, I would always say is do your research, be okay with exploring, and it's okay if you don't know. You know, try it out anyways. Um, as long as it's not going to take you outside of your primary duties or not cause a burden to your process, then it's okay to explore these things. And um, again, there's so many different avenues that provide free resources and training for you to really get, get a level of experience or exposure to some of these different um, opportunities and different career fields that you could potentially go into. Even from a business perspective, you know, a lot of people want to start a business when they get out. There's certainly a lot of educational opportunities for you to just learn brass tax business and all of the different components that come along with that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the SkillBridge program. That's something that I plan to, uh, I mean, you know, assuming that my command is cool enough to sign off on me doing it, I have an op opportunity already on the table to try to utilize that when I get closer to my EAS and I really want to use that program. Um, I think that's a great program. super yeah. underutilized. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's essentially a, a six month internship with a company or a certification or whatever, where you're still active duty, you're still getting paid and you have an opportunity to go essentially just work for free, but you're getting paid by the military to go learn a skill and oftentimes a certification and uh, I mean, it could lead to hiring or it could lead to you saying, I don't want to do this, but Hey, it's a cool skill I learned. Right. Right. And we actually have a really great partnership with a company called Gen M. Um, if you guys go to genm.co slash savvy, backslash savvy, and I'll spell that out. That's just G-E-N, the letter M as in Mike, dot C-O backslash Sierra Alpha Victor India. Um, it's a, again, it's a marketing apprenticeship program. It is five to 10 hours a week for three months. It is all remote, so it does not distract from, again, your primary duty. They give you free education and training, and then you get to work with a real world employer that is interested in hiring veterans specifically. And so again, just another option from an intern slash apprenticeship standpoint that gives you real world experience and it gives you a skill that's highly transferable into many different aspects of business, employment. Um, again, the more that you can add to your roster of skills, the more marketable that you're gonna be, period. Um, I know a lot of people go after their um, PMP or their project management um, certification. And you know, project management, again, very diverse skill set that a lot of people can apply for and that can be you know, integrated into many different career fields. And so these are the types of things that you just have to be aware of and really do a little bit of research to see what's available because 
these programs, again, are at no cost to you. They're amazing and valuable and can definitely give you some insight as to what you might want to do next before you actually get out. Yeah, that's a cool one. I'm going to look that up. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, I've kind of dabbled a little bit in the marketing realm as I started all this stuff. You, I kind of laughed as you were you're like marketing, sales, you know, writing. And I was like, man, I've kind of taught all my all those things to myself. But I don't really know the first thing about marketing. I just blast stuff across social media and call it marketing. But uh, that would be, I mean, Especially those are- an umbrella term, right? There, like, there's so many different aspects of marketing. Oh, yeah. But, you know, paid advertisements and SEO and content. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on forever. So I, that was one of the aspects, again, of um, business that I had to really learn. And I can tell you, you everybody that is starting a business should have a basic understanding of these things. Because if you don't, I assure you, there are plenty of people out there willing to take advantage of you and charge you a million dollars a month to, you know, do whatever social engagement and do all this and marketing can be um, sometimes hard to quantify in terms of ROI. So it's really important that you have a basic understanding of all business components, not just marketing when it comes to accounting, when it comes to it, when it comes to design, basic understanding, you don't have to be an expert, but know enough so that nobody can take advantage of you and charge you ridiculous amounts of money for something that you may not need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, SEO for one is just ridiculously expensive. I mean, you need SEO, but man, that stuff's not cheap if you try to do someone in the States. Right. So anyway, all right. So we could go down the rabbit trail of all my failures in the marketing realm. But uh, I, I know we briefly touched on it, but I wanted to you know talk about the word compensation because I think there was a very valuable piece in there that we alluded to. But, okay. you know, the fact that we people don't pay for your services, vice other services out there. And I'd love to hear you talk on that. Sure. Um, again, there's so many free resources out there that are extremely valuable. And I think that a lot of people end up getting frustrated with the process. And so they kind of want to push the easy button. And sometimes the easy button translates into them taking out their wallets. Um, there are very, very few instances in which I feel like a veteran should have to pay for any of these support services. And believe me when I tell you there are enough organizations out there that can absolutely supplement that at no cost, that you, it should definitely be a, a red flag if um, you know, there's a price tag attached to something that relates to transition support. Um, you know, there are qualified organizations um, that are accredited to represent you through the VA claims process, third party organizations that are all nonprofits, they do not charge a dime to do what they do. Um, like I said, savvy, we do not get involved in representation, but we focus specifically on the educational piece. Again, we do not charge a cent for anything that we do. So you never have to worry about getting you know, a bill or anything at the end of the month. Same thing applies to anything that we refer our veterans to. We always refer to free resources because we want to encourage the use of these, um, you know, wonderful and amazing things that are out there for us to be able to take advantage of. 600,000, that's not a made up number. You know, 46,000 plus nonprofits, that's not a made up number. These organizations are out there to serve you. Please take advantage of it. And again, if there is a price tag attached to it, just make sure you ask first because there may potentially be a resource out there of equal or greater value to you that you do not have to spend a dime for. So again, just, you know, please make sure that there's, there's plenty of things out there that are going to cost you money. So let's take advantage of the things that don't. And when it comes to aiding and supporting the transition process, there's a lot that's available. Yeah. 
And, and that ties into, you know, basically like half the premise for this whole website is that expenses are usually the problem. People right. always say we don't make enough money, but it's, it's usually the expenses that kill you. So if you can get a service for free, don't. Yes. Just because it costs money does not necessarily make it better. <laughs> no, it does it not in any ways. And, and again, and sometimes it doesn't make your process any easier either. You know, sometimes you're paying for services and there's still um, a lot that you have to do in order to get that service and you're paying for it. So, um, you know, there are people in the community that are advocates, they're super passionate. Um, and especially in the veteran community, there are a lot of veterans that are serving because we like to be around, you know, our colleagues. We like to be around our peers, and we speak the language. We understand the process, and so it's important to be able to ask these questions and engage. And you know, don't be afraid to reach out um, because you know, there's again, there's quality, quality, quality resources that are out there that can certainly help um, meet whatever objective it is that you're looking for. Whether it's in business and employment, education, retirement. You know, these are all of the aspects that we really focus on and make sure that we connect to some of these leading organizations that are providing that. And they serve nationwide too, um, as, as we do. So depending on where you're at, you know, there may be an organization that's specific to your region, or it may be an organization that's nationwide. Either way, you can still get access to it. Awesome. <clears throat> awesome. Wow, voice cracked. Uh, <laughs> okay, so... Man, that, that's just awesome. So I guess uh, really at this point, it's probably about time to wrap it up. Otherwise, we'll be on the phone all night. Uh, but is there anything you'd like to add? Any parting advice or big ideas before we wrap this all up? Yeah, well, I definitely encourage you guys. Um, if you know of anybody that's getting out or you yourself are getting out, reach out to us. Um, you can reach us at www.savvets, that's plural. So S-A-V-I-V-E-T-S dot org backslash veterans, you can sign up to join our resource network. Or if you know somebody that's getting out, you can definitely refer to us. We highly encourage referrals. We will get back to everybody that submits a referral within 48 business hours. We will absolutely notify you that that contact has been made so that you know that we've um, at least established a baseline with them. And the way that you can refer, again, www.savvyvets.org backslash refer, middle slash A, middle slash veteran. So um, very easy. Again, it's always live. It's always available. And we would certainly love to connect with anybody, even if you're two years out, three years out. If you're thinking about transition, let's talk about it. We cannot officially put you into our program until your one year pre-separation, but that does not mean that we can't have a conversation. So I highly encourage anybody thinking about transitioning, considering it, um, maybe trying to start planning for it, let's have a chat. I'm more than happy to connect with anybody. And we do not deny any veterans. Even if you've been out for five, 10, 15 years, if you have a question, contact us. I assure you that we will help guide you and make sure that you get connected to the right support. Well, that is phenomenal. My next question would have been, where can people get a hold of you? And you have <laughs> thoroughly answered that. I will link to all of that below in the show notes for those of you watching or listening. And thank you very much. I mean, I learned a ton. You know, a lot of times I ask questions throughout this podcast and it's like things that I already have a decent idea about because they're real estate related, but yeah, I had no idea what I was doing here. So this is awesome. And just one other mention, if you don't mind, um, if Absolutely. you up on Facebook, Savvy Vets um, is our, our kind of home screen name. Um, we have resource webinars every month. So we provide 
really great information, whether it deals with transition, whether it deals with specific benefits and resources. We've done some really incredible um, webinars already and had some amazing hosts on there. So I definitely encourage you guys, um, if you go to that website, um, www.savvyvets.org backslash veterans, and you connect to our resource network, you will absolutely be notified of all of our upcoming resource webinars. So we'd like to put out quality information all the time and really um, make sure that you guys are aware of what's available to you. So check us out on Facebook, give us a call, shoot us an email, info at savvyvets.org, and we're definitely more than happy to help. And um, you know, again, if there's any way that I can provide that assistance or anybody within our network can, then we wanna make sure that we're supporting our vets the best as possible. Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us this evening, Adrian. This has Thank been you. phenomenal. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And um, you know, Again, I look forward to helping everybody as they're getting ready to transition out. Awesome. Have a great night. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.